0: Hey out there rock and rollers, welcome to the 72nd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in Central London. Just off historic Abbey Road. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in to last week's show on our reunion episode, where Jackson and I finally got together here in London after living here for three years after COVID had kept everyone from traveling to so many of the destinations that they wanted to over the last couple years. We finally connected, got to take a tour of a bunch of classic rock haunts all around London town, and got to review what turns out to be Genesis' second-to-last show ever at the O2 down in central London there. So we appreciate you tuning in for that. This week, we're really excited. We've got a couple of special guests on here whose names you may know. It's Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock. They're the husband-wife duo who've been Touring together for a long time, they worked with Paul Rogers, and maybe you in the U.S. saw them on the Stars Line Tour, where Deborah was first on the bill, then uh, Ann Wilson from Hart, Jeff Beck, and Paul Rogers, and Peter Bullock played with Paul Rogers in his band. Paul really likes Peter's tone, uh, and selected him as the perfect Paul Kossoff. A replacement as he did his Free Spirit tribute to his first real band, Free. Now you might recognize Deborah's ne- last name, Bonham. Yes, she is the sister of the late, great John Bonham. But we're not really here to talk to her about Led Zeppelin. We're here to talk about this amazing new album that they put together. It's full of blues covers and it's called Bonham Bullock and they whittled it down from about a hundred ideas and created these amazing covers of songs. Some you'll recognize. Some are classic blues covers. Some are more modern and maybe you wouldn't know them as well but their treatment is amazing and those of you who don't know Peter Bullock's guitar tone you're missing out this guy sounds incredible and of course he's been honing his chops for decades I was fortunate enough once to see them a little bit saw Deborah a little bit on the Stars Align tour and I got to see Peter play with Paul Rogers on the Stars Line tour But this is a great album. Once I heard it, I heard an advanced copy of it, I knew that our listeners would want to learn more about it. And you should really check it out. It's fantastic, and it's out April the 29th. Now, before we get into that, I want to say, as usual, we want you to subscribe and download wherever you get your podcast be it Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Play, anywhere you get them. And consider giving us a good review if you enjoy the show, which just helps us find more fans like yourselves. And be sure that you tweet us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. Now this week, you'll notice that Jackson is not with us during the interview. Jackson had a family emergency to take care of, uh, but we hope all is well with him. He should be back next week, and we look forward to, to welcoming him back. So it's just me, on my own, talking to Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock of Bonham Bullock. And I gotta tell you, they're two fantastic people. Very, very nice, very open, very warm, very generous of spirit. Peter Bullock's quite a character. I bet he'd be the kind of guy you'd love to bump into in the pub and, and spend an hour or two with. Sounds like he's got some great stories. Uh, but Deborah was very generous, not only sharing all their thoughts on their careers this far, but of course a, a little bit of the obligatory talk about the influence her brother had on her. So without further ado, let's jump into it. It's my interview with Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock here on The Wolf. <coughs>
1: There we, oh, here's the
0: man. There he is. Hey, Pete. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Great. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having us. This is the man with the tone. Listen, I... I got to tell you, Jackson and I, and I was just telling Deborah, my partner in crime, Jackson, he had a family emergency, couldn't be here. He's sorry. He he can't be. It'll just be me today. But we're guitar freaks. And and how we met is we were freshmen in college. We roomed together. And within two minutes of saying, hi, I'm Mac. Nice to meet you. I was putting a, a picture of a poster of Jimmy Page with the double-neck Red Gibson on our wall, right? So we've been into guitar and the tone of rock guitar for so long, and we get a lot of people who send us records like, hey, here's our new record. Would you like to interview him or have him on the show? And most of the time it's like, yeah, okay, that's great. Thanks. Maybe not a fit. But as soon as Dave sent me your all's record and I heard your tone, I'm like, Jackson, you got to hear this guy. We've we got to have them on the show. This kicks ass, man. So we are really glad to be talking
2: to you oh yeah thanks for that um, uh, yeah that, that tone goes back a long way probably to the uh peter greens and paul kossoffs and people like that that's that was what the tone that got me off and uh and uh i, I can remember getting my first amplifier from uh, a marshall uh from an electronic second hand store across from my school and the, the guitar version of the marshall valve headed uh, it was so much more expensive than the base version, so I picked up the base version for like ninety quid, hundred and twenty bucks. Gotcha. When I was about eleven years old, so that's ten years ago. Now maybe maybe a lot more than that. You went,
3: <laughs> you went gray very young, didn't
2: you? I did. I went gray at thirty-one. Well.
3: <laughs> anyway,
2: I'm digging your beard, just like you're digging my tone. Absolutely,
0: that's that's what it's all about. Us, us white bearded guys, you get a little gray in there. You got to stick together, my friend.
2: It's about beard tone as well, isn't it? Absolutely. So, we got, <laughs> so I'll get this like Marshall Head, and the in the shop says, you know, the only difference between the guitar one and the bass one is you snip this little, uh, snip this little resistor right? and that's all you need to do. So we did that, and it sounded peachy. About 30 years later, I found out that Kossoff did the same thing. Is that all right? All these years. Yeah, just, just totally accidental. A lot of the guitarists in the days used bass, bass heads rather than the guitar heads. So, yeah, an accident, but uh, in search of tone. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. As well, pickups as well are a big deal as well. I have a, a, a pal who handmade me some pickups. And whereas guitar pickups, a, a lot of manufacturers made their guitars very loud so that, so that a, a kid in a shop would go, I want the loud one, Danny, but uh, Daddy, you know. But uh, these ones are actually very quiet, so you actually have to drive the amp a lot so the guitar is actually quiet. So You're giving you away your trademarks, aren't you? Yeah, I'll say no more. Dave <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, Walsh
3: with Pokemon pickups. No great. He's got to do an interview with Guitarist Magazine. I mean, all these interviews, he keeps going on about know, guitars. Okay. And yeah, I see him yes. going like this. I keep having to wake her up,
2: you know. I'm so. like,
3: oh, fight me when it's finished. <laughs> okay. All I know is put your guitar on and get that yeah. sound,
2: and that's great. And then when it, whenever it gets by her childhood, I'll be... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, of course, yes, there's going to be some obligatory childhood questions. We want to get into Bonham Bullock because when I heard this, I got really excited. You know, someone who grew up listening to the blues... Maybe didn't understand it. I just knew I loved the guitar work of the blues and the way the blues sounded. Being a white kid from the suburbs of America, maybe I hadn't lived enough to appreciate what the blues really were. But the sound of it is the
2: same, right?
3: Exactly what I've been saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It,
2: yeah, it's probably why we were sort of waited till we were this age to be yeah. confident to do it some sort of justice.
3: Yeah, exactly yeah. that. And
2: as a twenty-one-year-old, too many other things going on on our head from white suburbia yeah <laughs> so,
3: that's exactly it uh, yeah it, it, Thir-
2: 30 years later having lived a bit lost a bit and hurt a bit and, and laughed a bit and uh, you
3: can just bring some of it
2: and they're uh, overindulged in some things and all sorts of all that sort of stuff all comes to the pie well, that's yeah, kind of what it takes it
3: yeah. yeah yeah absolutely
0: all right well be- before we get into that I-, I know a lot of our listeners probably don't know your all's origin stories of like starting your careers and i'm gonna let deborah go first here Peter, But, you know, I, I think a lot of people or, or some people may be familiar with your original back in the day pop princess kind of for you in the moon album. And I listened to it. And I also listened to one that you've kind of subsequently released. I think it's looking back at the moon where you did sessions from yeah. around that time. And and, and I know, obviously, you're very young then. It sounds like it was produced. A, it was produced out of your control. Like They didn't give you a whole lot to say yeah. out of final production. Yeah. But it was also very of the time. Whereas I feel Mm. like what you're doing now is for all time. It's timeless. Whereas then it was like, okay, we've got a girl. We want to turn into a pop princess. We've got the formula. So you lay down your tracks, you know, sweetie. That's not me. That's them. You lay down your tracks and we'll take care of it from there.
3: you got it in one. Fantastic. We didn't
2: have to talk about that. you've You've nailed it. Yeah,
0: you got
3: it in (laughs) one. I mean, it it wasn't even... You lay down the track, sweetie, it was you just sing, sweetie, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, shorten the skirt a bit, you know. <laughs> I, it was, I was a fish out of water, complete fish out of water. I mean, that wasn't me. The songs that I wrote had a quite sort of a folky blues feel. I guess Career Records knew what they were doing, but uh, because it, it did sell well. It mm-hmm. did. Um, <laughs>
2: It was very euro wasn't it so well it, it was, was
3: recorded in germany they so, took me to, so it
2: sold well in germany yeah. but a, a surprise for that was it sold really well in south america and still mm-hmm. to still to this day the, the data statistics youtube views all that kind of stuff that you get to see it's all south american countries on, on all those tracks i mean it's
3: it, incredible it, you know they took me they took me to germany in the sessions, no one spoke English, so I was really, you know, just... But the, the one good thing that happened was I met Tony Carey from uh, Rainbow, who, Richard Blackmore's Rainbow, mm-hmm. um, he did Rainbow Rising and all of that, the, the big album. Tony was a co-owner of the studio, mm-hmm. and he was an American guy living in... is an American guy living in Germany, and that was great, you know, But and he played some bass on one of the tracks, but I just kept thinking... Wow, what are they doing to my music? You know, this is right. this is crazy. You know, I was quite a hippie. You know, I just really hippie, sort of blues to sort of folky. You know, but certainly not eighties um, rock. You know, and um, and then it ended up going very eighties rock. But well, of course,
2: eighties rock was new then, so so you, yeah, so you wouldn't have been yes. a fan then because it was all just new wasn't it so and you were not the pioneer of 80s rock i wasn't so.
3: i wasn't a fan so, the whole way through. it was a, it was an 80s rock
2: accident where somebody yeah. turned your stuff into 80s
3: just rock. not a fan at all but um anyway so it you know yeah that's it, you you nailed it that's exactly how it was
0: um, you couldn't take I the credit, off- but then you couldn't take the blame either, I guess, is part of it.
3: <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> the, the, the issue that happened was I got that deal anonymously because I sent off my <laughs> um, demos. And I, I just purposely didn't want to put the name Bonham there because of all that that would entail. And, of course, we'd only lost John in in 1980 so i didn't do that and and i got this this would have been
2: about 83 wouldn't it because the album came out 85 it was
3: about 82 when i first started talking to 82 yeah okay When i first started talking to career and you know but it soon came out and when it and people have said to me since well you know you could have changed your name but no matter what i would have done it would have come out you know so i just thought okay brace yourself here we go (laughs) this is gonna happen and pl- Plus when um, you just
2: lost your big brother Who's your yeah, here was a bit, so called it, Bonham You don't want to change yeah. your name do you? And
3: why run it's, from
2: that? It's nothing to be ashamed of
0: yeah. Oh
3: god no No not at all But you know It, it is quite a double edged Well was Not now Although as we've just seen it, It's still he, he does create this uh, incredible Everybody wants to know about John And I get that You know And it's fine And I'm incredibly proud of him For you know Everything he did And look I'm biggest Led Zeppelin fan But back then, it was a real eye-opener, you Mm -hmm. know, a real eye-opener. And I struggled. I really struggled. I struggled with the music. I struggled with the interviews. I struggled with a a lot of it. And Career eventually went into uh, liquidation. They they, um, ceased trading. And so that sort of put an abrupt end to my music career with them. And I'd signed a contract in perpetuity So I was pretty much stuck.
2: With with the production company. Yeah, Uh, I I couldn't
3: couldn't get out of it. It was down to me to go to court and all that. So I had a good 10 years from that album, working in the industry, playing gigs, just paying my dues, really. And I think if that album had have really, really taken off, I don't really think I'd be here today, you know, and I certainly wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. it, it, the path has been the right path for me to get to where I am now, you know. I'm sort of, I'm glad that nothing really happened back then, that it's been a tough path, but it's been one well, well-travelled and I needed to get there to make the album that we've made today, you know. So I don't have any regrets at all that it went that way. I've learned a lot, you know. It's, that's the way it is. No,
0: you've earned your spot, you know, and you were born to sing this blues soulful music and maybe at 23 or so, that's not, uh, that's not what you're going to be singing, but now absolutely you've earned yeah. it and you do it as well as anyone
3: here. Oh, thank you. Although there was thank a song, you. I mean,
0: there's some songs when they like pretender, I think was on the looking back. I mean, this is a good song. Yes. yes, it's kind of got that 80s AOR sound all over it, but like this is still good stuff. You had the chops. It's just that wasn't really who you were at your core.
3: No, no, you're right. And I, and I think this is it's it's all been a, a development. Um you know, I mean years ago we did a tour in America with my nephew Jason Bonham and we were going down a storm. We're playing our own music.
2: Ninety, 97.
3: 97, was, yeah. Okay. We were going down we an absolute storm at these venues, you know, queues of people trying to buy a, a, a homemade little CD, you know, and um, but Sony came to came to one of the shows and then wanted a meeting when we got to Los Angeles, you know, and we thought, yeah, you know, because the crowd would go mental and everything was great. And actually, they weren't really interested in what we were doing. What they wanted me to do was a, a Lady Sings the Blues album then. Okay. Doing Billie Holiday, Etta James, you know, sort of famous songs. And you know, I walked away from that because I just thought, no, I you know, like Peter said a bit earlier, and like you said, coming from white suburbia, I wasn't ready. I hadn't gone through enough to be able to bring the blues emotion. Genuinely. Yeah, genuinely. Rather
2: rather than a lot of people phoned it in, I think is the expression you like to use in America. Yeah. Like- yeah, we don't do fun in. We
3: no, just, uh, and I, I just—it wasn't going to be organic. I just thought, you know, no. He was sat there. He says this now. I was going funneling in, in. Think of <the> books. <laughs> I got to get, <laughs> get my hand in camera there.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Think
3: of the he, Well, they were sitting there saying, you know, and oh, we could do this, and we can get her a Grammy, and we can do this, and we'll, we'll put this amount of money into it. He's going great, great, and I'm going no, money. no, 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 I'm not doing that. So um, that was something I will do. And again, I don't regret it because then we went on to make other albums, the old hide and uh, things, and met great people. And, yeah, it's all a learning curve. But now it felt the time's right, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Well, let's switch over to you then, Pete. I mean, an Irishman who I guess grew up listening to some killer rock and roll, but somewhere along the line you heard a guitar and said – Oh, that's that's what I need to do, right? So, can you tell me a little bit about how you came
2: in? Yeah, I'm very about seven years old. So, I, I, I had an uncle who's three years older than me. So he was he was sort of leading the leading the path for me, or parting the waves for me to sort of follow in his shirt shirt tails kind of thing, or coat tails, whatever you go. And then, and we we just listened to like <laughs> parents records. No, I wasn't lifting his shirt tails. <laughs> Uh, so, so it would have been anything from like the the Beatles and the Stones to uh, Roy Orbison and uh, the Shadows and Burt Whedon and uh, yeah, all those kind of things that had a guitar going twine. You, you, I, know.
3: you can hear Eddie Cochran in you. As well.
2: Eddie Cochran, loved Eddie Cochran mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, and um, oh crikey, his name's Dwayne Eddie. He was another one. I just loved there the you. kind of Dwayne Eddie twine that he could get and all that kind of stuff. And and then the then the more sustained kind of things like the Beano album, Clapton and uh, John Mayle, Oh, that yeah. just kind of blew me away with that Les Paul, and uh, it's it's funny. Clapton didn't really blow me away after that album, but it was that one was a a big shocker, and then Kossoff was a natural kind of oh shit. Kosoff still doing that kind of vibe, right? Yeah, and uh, so we just listen. We we got access to those records in the early seventies through babysitters or aunties or parents and stuff like that, and then yeah. So we we were too young to see it first off. So we we were late on parade, but, but we'd sit in our bedroom and uh, it, it was a bit, bit uh, Belfast was a bit of a war zone back then. So right. we didn't really want to hang about the streets because you'd, you know, you'd get caught up in stuff. Even if you weren't caught up in a bomb or shot, you'd be caught up in a bad crowd that would want to go and shoot someone or something. And, and that would be your way of life. So we mm-hmm. hid in the bedrooms and we played guitars and this was our way out of uh, way out of the war, really. And um, the uh, the people we could go and see were maybe once or twice a year, and it'd be Rory Gallagher and a band called Horse Lips, which were a, a folk rock band with a long-haired guitar player with a Les Paul with a great tone. So he almost played the blues over the top of folk rock, and it was great. So they, they were our kind of early heroes that we could see live physically. And, uh, you know, not until I moved to England in 85 or 86 would I be able to sort of get the experience that everybody else in the world had been privy to, like in America and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, so that was all just, just bedroom stuff and have our own <laughs> little bands at the school disco and stuff. We'd have a 30-minute slot, you know, so we'd get to cut our chops live, you know, and do a bit of Chuck Berry at the end. We'd almost finish off the show with Johnny Be Good, which I think everybody did around the world <laughs> at that time. Nice. In fact, to, to this to this day, we, we sort of, uh, at the end of our shows, we kind of, uh, we, don't, we don't do... Uh, Johnny Be Good, Chuck Berry, but we, we used to throw in Led Zeppelin's rock and roll because we don't do any Led Zeppelin in the show because of that always getting linked to it. So if it's been a great crowd and a great show, we'll throw that in as an encore for a bit of fun. I call oh. it our Johnny Be Good, not it's Led Zeppelin's rock and roll, but it's our. It's, it's that thank you at the end of the night, let's go mad to the audience. But we had to calm that down because YouTube came out and everybody just filmed that. Oh so, yeah! So all yeah, you yeah. see on YouTube all of a sudden was Deborah Bonham, rock and roll. Deborah Bonham, oh. rock and roll. Deborah Bonham. We were going, oh no! Oh, <laughs> no. Instead of our other songs. So, so they, so
3: they act own lengthy audience really. Didn't yes, they? instantly. So, I just said, so, okay, we can't do that. You know which oh. is a
2: bit like some of those articles that just focus on the John Bonham things. Yeah. So.
0: Right.
3: Yeah.
2: Well,
0: it, but, hey, look, uh, my earliest memory, in fact, I just was on a show called the hook rocks. He's a guy out of Chicago who does great stuff. And, and he's, we're both part of this uh, Pantheon podcast network of about a hundred great podcasters. who are all about music, not just rock and roll, but, uh, but lots of great stuff. Pamela Debar's got her pajama party podcast on there. Uh, he was talking about my origins. I'm like, the earliest rock and roll memory I have is, my dad coming home from work in the 70s, and he wasn't in a bad mood. He was like happy to be home that night. And he put on his old records from like the 50s and 60s. And I distinctly remember playing Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry, me taking the pillow off the couch and beating it like a drum. I was about four yeah. years old. And that's what put the rock and roll into my DNA. And since then, I don't know if it's been uphill or downhill, but it's been it's been a part of me ever since.
2: <laughs> yeah. I tell you another another one which I still to this day love is Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock. The yep, he played that that night too. The guitar solo in that, like, you know, it's like you, you got to have that. You got to have that in your DNA. So you got, you know, somebody's just going to pull that out of the bag some night you go, hey! In fact, we did well the name drop, we did a little uh, private funk, uh, party thing with uh, Robert Plant and he used our band as Debbie's band as, as the backing band and he was just shouting out tunes and he was like, uh, and he was quite amazed so uh, we, we were a little bit younger than Robert but he was just, he was just throwing out these rock and roll tunes because he likes his rock and roll yeah. and we were playing, we straight in them, straight in, and, he's, and you could see him singing he turned around and, <laughs> I think he was trying to catch us out but we were like, you know, shivers down my backbone, we were in, we, were in, we caught him in all of them, it was like, Well done. Yeah, well done. So, and then eventually you guys
0: meet, of course, have a musical kinship, and then you start to make a couple records together, right? I mean, Old Hyde is one I think you like very much, Debra, that was about 2004, it's 20 years after kind of your first record. I know you did some stuff in Japan and stuff like that. And then Duchess, which, I mean, I think you're using the same band that you are now like you know all, yeah. all those guys uh, was it Gerard and and Richard and I don't want to Ian I don't want to leave anybody out but it seems like you guys are are pretty tight and, and you've been doing this for a while now you know so was it that experience of all right we did some great originals but now let's let's deep dive deep into kind of what got us here I mean was that kind of the impetus
3: between on this yeah, yeah. really it, yes it I think without a doubt it was, and, and it had always been in the back of our minds because of that conversation back in '97. You know, I always fancied doing it, but just never thought that I, or the band, we were ready. You know, and then after the band, uh, Paul Rogers picked the band to to back him as well, and we we did, and I opened up for them. We we did a UK Free Spirit tour mm-hmm. in 2017. And I mean, just about every guitarist wanted that gig, and Paul picked Pete because of his tone. With and you know, it reminded him a bit of Kosoff, but you know, he he just could. It was Pete he wanted, really, wasn't
2: it? I, I, I think I mean, obviously i would incredibly flattered by this, but he, Paul Paul never told me what to do or anything. He just went. And yeah, hey, I've heard other stories about you know when he's had bands and stuff. In his input, he kind of picked our band and told us the songs he'd like to do and uh, left us to go and rehearse them. And then he came in for the last couple of days. Of rehe- he never told any of us what to do. He never said, I want you to play it like this. So he just had this absolute faith of he wanted a band right. to interact like a band. He wanted to be part of a band. Yeah. So yeah. he had enough faith in us to know that what we brought to the table was going to be. And in some of the articles and stuff he's written, that he, uh, he I, can't, I, I like the term he, he used to describe me. He said, I, said I had the vulnerability of Kosov. Didn't say I was as, yeah, there's no, no big, but but I don't know. Some people might think that that's a strange term to use, but I, I kind of identify with that. The vulnerability. It's like sometimes I can go off on one and get lost, and it's
3: great. But <laughs> so that's so from from that, and then um, we took it to the US and we did the, the 2008 Stars Align tour with Jeff. Beck and Ann Wilson and Quarter Valley Records who had done the put out uh, a live at the Albert Hall from the 2017 shows with Paul okay. and the band they came to uh, Los Angeles Los Angeles show and the Nashville show and said you know we want to do something with you which was, I was absolutely oh. you know this is fantastic because at this stage in our career I didn't think that that was really going to happen and then when that happened, and of course the band were really playing great. I just thought this needs to be a whole new project. It needs to be a band project. Um, we need, you know, it's always been the Deborah Bonham band, and it really, it's all of us, you know, because we've been together for <coughs> so long. And it's a live, it's an absolute ass kicking band. I mean, they're they're a phenomenal band. Yeah, it is really. They're, they're just fantastic, isn't it? It's an absolute pleasure to be on that stage and sing with them, you know, which was what Paul found. And I said, we really got to do it. You know, it's got to be a band project, this. And that's when the idea of doing, you know, these covers, but our interpretations of them and not just my only criteria was, listen, I'm not going to go down the total standards road. I don't want it all. Right. You know, all the songs that everybody's done to death and everybody knows, you know, I don't want to do that because they have been done to death, you know, and I just and that's great, you know, but I just wanted to take it somewhere different. So a couple of those, but some classics, a couple of classics and some obscure as well and contemporary as well. So that's where the idea sort of came from, wasn't it? How we how we got to this place, you know. And and also, like you said all those songs, it's all about what's influenced us through all those years. You're absolutely on the money there. That's incredible because no one else has mentioned that. And it really is that, you know, because you you don't just hear the blues in this album. You can hear all the other things that have influenced us. you sure. know. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. So it just felt right. It was the right time to do it, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. And uh, because uh, Deborah was producing it, she kind of knew what to pick. Uh, that the band could handle you know or, yeah. or, or what we would uh there's about 100 songs it started off with from lots of friends suggesting and stuff and everything and it, it whittled down to 13 i think it whittled down to 13 and we thought if we record 13 we'll do the 11 best on the album you know thinking there'll be two we'll be unhappy with that we'll toss those up sure or B sides, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, we, we kept all thirteen because, and we be kind of—it's hard to have a favorite. It'll be a different favorite each week. So <laughs> it's, um, yeah. yeah, and 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 it was just because, uh, and we probably spent more time on this than we would have done on writing our own songs. Funny enough, because you'd think this would be a quicker project, a faster project than writing your own songs. Fair it no. was—it was the entire yeah. opposite because because we had to make the songs so different to the original which well we
3: didn't i mean it wasn't that we had to make it i mean it was organic really it wasn't a forced issue it was just like look we need to think outside the box here i'd already got the cogs going because when i was listening and picking the songs i was already thinking yeah i can hear where they'll go we can take this so it was already that sort of natural thing that we brought us to it rather than just doing a straight copy which you can't do you know you, you, you we didn't want to. No. yeah we wanted to do something different and
2: um I think what's some things we have so, sort of said about is it, that like what Joe Cocker did to uh Ringo Stars well, that, that
3: was rather phenomenal or what
2: uh, <laughs> now we're shooting a bit higher yeah that. No, <laughs> but we kept
3: that in that was, you know, that was what we were looking at, you know.
2: Or, or more recently, what the Georgia Satellites did to one of the Ring of Stars songs, Don't Pass Me By. That was like, yeah, brilliant.
3: Yeah, we we, we did sort of, that was there. Like, we, you, we need to think outside the box. And, yeah, it was a challenge. It was a massive challenge. Took us out of our comfort zone because when you write your own stuff, you pretty much know where it's going to go from the get go. Sure. So it was it was a massive challenge and we were right out of the comfort zone, but it was great at this stage in our career to get stretched like that. It suddenly became exciting. And now we're playing it on on the, on, on stage. It's it's bloody great, you know. It's all of a sudden we've got this complete new energy and new yeah. life because I think we've of these got new songs.
2: A, I think you know, we've got about six of them. We're doing live at the moment.
3: Yeah, I mean,
0: no, it's it's
2: great. Great. Yeah. And yeah. Are you Are you we're rehearsing
0: right now? Because you've got to play later this month, don't you?
2: Yeah, we start, we, we start rehearsals again next week, and uh, so uh, so we'll probably maybe squeeze in another couple. Maybe we'll maybe have eight out of the thirteen. Or yeah, the, uh, it's next. just
3: such good fun. It's great fun, and it's a great fun band. You know, I mean, we do have such a laugh. I always say to everybody, you know, if you're not enjoying it on that stage, why the hell would anybody watching you enjoy it? You know. Right. So, we we really do love what we what we're doing, and I think these songs have have, have, have brought that a bit. It's given us this whole new this new uh, way of looking at things. So, and it, each
2: each player after the after the production, where maybe Deborah had input into what everybody's playing and stuff, but once after the production and the recorded version, once we're out there live everybody's entrusted with their own kind of free yeah. reign and interpretation to.
3: You know, I didn't uh, really, t- I didn't tell you what to play. I just let you, I just know how to get the best out of you. You all, Okay, you all just do us want not to play. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had a big electric cow prod. <laughs> <laughs> don't play that. <laughs> so that yeah, brings up a question it, that Jackson
0: had. It's like, what are the benefits and challenges of being a married couple in a touring band? <laughs>
2: Uh, the, the, the the benefits are I'm um, let him
3: say this one. yeah
2: the benefits are I, I've had uh, <laughs> I've sort of I haven't been to the CLAP clinic in 30 years. <laughs> that's a good benefit, my friend. Yes. Yeah. That,
0: that's a positive.
2: Oh.
1: Even though the
0: test is negative, that's a positive for you. Yes.
2: Yep.
3: <laughs> yeah, I've got
2: to pay a fortune for somebody else's negative test. <laughs> oh,
3: dear, oh, yes. dear. <laughs> What is the benefit we're both very, very lucky. We, I mean we met. Thirty years, it was thirty-one years ago. Instantly, from that day, we've been together. <laughs> Stop it! We've been, <laughs> we've been together.
2: I'm still in the clap. for
3: the <laughs> it'll be a different type of clap you'll get in a minute. Slap. Yeah. We've been together ever since, sort of twenty-four-seven, and that's a that's a long time. That tells you something. I think what's got us through is that we both have. Immense mutual respect for what we do, him as a guitarist, me as a singer. So when all else fails, and, and there's a massive row, and I've moved to another hotel, and all of that sort of stuff goes on, and that'll be over something ridiculous, you know, right. <laughs> nothing to do with music. It's the music that keeps us back together, and we, we actually do love each other, don't we? Yes)
2: we yeah. do. oh. Wonderful.
3: Look, no, you've got a little
2: fear in your eye I now. I Look, that was so
3: sweet. <laughs> oh. But we do, you know, we've got massive respect for each other musically, and, and that's what does it, you know, if all else fails. And it, it pretty much doesn't because we, I mean, we've got. Are you doing, still answering that one? Yeah. I've got myself in a rabbit hole. I? Yeah. Okay, I'll shut
0: up. Hi, this is Christy Alexander Hallberg, author of the novel
1: Searching for Jimmy Page, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast.
0: Well, well, we'll come back to the album because there's some tracks that I just stand out to me and I want to ask you a little bit about. But I want to go back to the Stars Align tour because I did see you guys on that tour in 2018. I had always wanted to see Paul and they said Stars Align tour. And I'd seen Jeff a couple times. So I'm like, yeah, OK, who else is there? Ann Wilson. OK, I'll see you. Deborah Bonham. Oh cool, I've never seen Deborah Bonham before. So I go to see in Cincinnati in Riverfront, the amphitheater down there by the river. I'm from Louisville, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, which is maybe an hour and a half away. And of course, getting through that parking lot is massive. And I was trying to come on get my wife. Come on, honey, we gotta go, we gotta go. And so I didn't come in until I think it was No Angel. I think it was the last song you did. Uh, I'm like, okay, great, they're doing the song, okay, cool, and it was over. It's like Thanks. We'll see you later. I just got here. Damn it! I missed who I wanted to see you know, but I guess I did get to see you, Pete, later with with Paul, which was a fun. It was a great day overall. But I mean, can you tell me any good like stories or just funny happenstances from that that tour that maybe you can share with our audience
2: a little bit? Let's see the clean ones without like swearing and all that kind of. There was now there was ah well there was one moment where uh, the behind the scenes was. Uh, all the crew of each band, because they'd have quite a quick turnover, and uh, you know between right. the, the band. So and every everybody communicated brilliantly and got on really well. Out of all those three crews, it's, it's, I don't know, let's say thirty-five people in total, maybe forty people. There was only one complete arsehole in the whole lot, which is right. quite amazing. Uh, it shall remain nameless, but uh, <laughs> any of our crew listening to this will know exactly who I'm. On about. But um, Peter the, uh
3: what goes on tour stays on tour. Well, it is, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the great
2: things was that the, uh, when I started off on the tour in Utah, the first night of the, the first show, the amps that I had ordered didn't arrive from England. So I had a couple of marshals. <laughs> Wording. now marshals are, are kind of the ultimate tone and everything but to get a marshall to work really nicely it's got to be cranked really loud and on a stage with with paul who wasn't where a monitor, he wanted to hear the monitors he wanted to hear the stage okay two marshals cranked up too loud on stage you know for, for a mix so i had to turn them down a bit which at the cost of some tone gotcha uh anyway jeff beck's guitar tech saw me struggle with the sound and all that kind of thing so
3: he's got Scully. Got Scully, yeah, Gotta give him a name check. Oh, yeah, Scully's good. Yeah. Such a lovely guy. And what, and what oh, happened yes. was,
2: Jeff had joined the tour from uh, a European tour, and on that European tour was a, a drum tech called Yard Gavrilovich, and he couldn't come and do the American side. Now, Yard Gavrilovich had helped us with the John Bonner Memorial statue a year or two before or something. So we knew Yard, and we'd had been to parties together, uh, the whole, as he was part of our little team. So whenever we got to America, Scully came up with Jeff's guitar tech, who actually used to be Russia's guitar tech. He was—he looked after Geddy and Alex. Oh, wow. So his, story, his stories were great. And, of course, they're all bands that I loved and stuff. So he came, he came up and he says, hey, hey, you, Pete, uh, Yard told me i got to <coughs> look after you. <laughs> so I've just been touring Europe with Yard. He said, look after me, Pete. I'm like, oh, shit. He it. what's your problem? Well, you know, my amps, I, I use uh, amps called Victory or Comfort. Over in the UK and Europe and stuff, okay. it's are handmade by a chap Paul Crawford and uh, uh, Vickers make these these things. And they, so I didn't have this, I had to use Marshall. So he said, "Well, what uh, what Getty and uh, Alex use out in America is this rock crusher thing. So crank your amps up through this, and uh, I'll see I'll see if we can get one for the next show, which was heading down West Coast." And he got on the phone to them and they didn't have any at the factory so they they sent the the team in that night and made me one overnight and hand delivered it to the show wow So i had this thing so i had two marshals and two orange amps going through this sort of full blast and then so it sucks all the power right so you're getting the amps driven but then the volume they they then control the volume that goes to the speakers so that's what so you could really get Great tone, like you're blasting the dish. So we get on. The other side of that was, a few nights later, Jeff didn't do a sound check in the afternoon. So Scully comes up and says, oh, Pete, you couldn't do me a favour. I've had to repair, I've had to get Jeff's favourite amp repaired. And it's now back, but he's not sound checking today. Could you check it for me? So I went, yeah, sure. So I'm in this amphitheatre all in there with Jeff Beck's guitar. He puts Jeff Beck's guitar on me, you know, cranks me through Jeff's rig and says, okay, Pete, go. At Concord volume. So... This is about, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon. And I was thinking, I haven't played any Jeff Beck songs since I was a kid. You know, I, I used to have a go with, you know, Becks Bolero, you know, every, sure. every guitarist. And another solo that I loved was the solo that Jeff did on uh, People Get Ready with Rod Stewart. You know, huge. So I, and I used to know that. So. But when you haven't played it for 25 years or 30 years and you're in an amphitheater at full volume, you sort of fumble on the net, you sort of, try and find the bit of it. So you're not straight there. I was doing that at full volume. I just realised there are about 10,000 people outside queuing to see Jeff Beck. (laughs) And they're hearing Jeff Beck guitar solo has played really badly.
3: It was the quickest return of tickets. Can we have our money back? I just got this. I
2: started thinking, you know, 10,000 people out there going, oh, shit, Jeff's let himself go. Maybe maybe we'll not (laughs) Oh, man, that's good stuff.
0: <laughs> that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, and, and you all were great that night. I mean, it, the rain came down about the second song, so everyone on the fringe is kind of pushed into the middle. I think Paul said, oh, what a great crowd. I'm like, well, they're actually just trying to stay dry, Paul. But yeah, no, they're excited to see you, and you guys are doing great. I remember that. I yeah. remember yeah, no oh, no firm yeah. songs, no all the king's horses. I was a little disappointed, but I know that the, between free and bad company, there's a lot to get through there. So I understand.
2: Um, it was going to be all free songs, but he thought being in America, we should do some bad company. I, as well.
3: I actually think as well that you got in late. Don't, um, that would actually, I don't think that was your fault because they put the wrong time on the ticket. So um, we had to really get on to them about that because we were going on half an hour before the ticket time so that was what the problem was so um yeah we had to get onto them and say guys you know <laughs> it would help if the right time was on the ticket you know <laughs>
0: yeah so fans can come see us so, and not miss us yeah absolutely.
3: yeah oh i had a, i had a woman and i don't know where whether it was there because i would come out at the front with uh, the guitarist i was working with ian hatton he ian has been an old friend of mine since we were in our teens we grew up at the same in the same place in the UK, and he's still a great friend now. You know, I'm seeing him next week, so he's um, great guy. And he played; he was in a band with me in the early '80s, but he went on to play with Jason Bonham in Bonham, and they had quite a, a, a quite a big selling album. Actually, their first album came out. It was Australia. big in the states, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he, um, hmm. we, we've been such great friends, and he just interpreted what I needed to do because it was a big thing with my band playing with Paul and me being incredibly vulnerable, you know, just on the stage. And and when I told Ian about this, I said, listen, it's just going to be me and you. We're doing these type of shows. And he went, oh, my good grief. You're kidding me. You know, we're just going to walk out. I said, we'll be fine. It'll be fine. (laughs) And it was. It was brilliant. It was really good. But I think at the show that you're talking about, after that, it got changed on the ticket times because there was people, I, I went out the front uh, to watch uh, the guys, which I did every night so that, you know, the next day we could tighten some things up or whatever. So I was still sort of working with them, really, sure. um, and what worked and all of that sort of stuff. But I got mopped by the, the, this woman and a few other people. She was crying her eyes out, saying she was so mad that she'd missed it like you know, she'd walked in on the last bit and there was a queue of people saying the same thing they were all getting uptight and uh, she started crying she said I've waited a long time to see you you know and she said this is I've come all this way and i and she got really upset so I said oh. listen the best thing you can do is all email the promoter and just say get the ticket time changed." so from that day it got changed.
0: Well, and hopefully she'll get you a little later this year in America, because I know you yeah, want to get back I to the States so, yeah. to tour this record. Mm-hmm. I want to be respectful of your time here. So I, I've got to talk to you about some of these amazing tracks. On the album, and I think you kick it off. We talk a lot about sequencing. You know, you have to start off with a strong track. You want to finish in a certain way. You know, from the first track, you need to go up, but don't blow it out. Then you gotta, you know, smooth it out a little bit. And "See You Again" is an amazing song. Of course, we're big Stones fans here on the Wolf, Uh, and that's a that's a Bernard Fowler song here. It's 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 lamentful, you know, for you, Deborah, but I think it's got some real clean. Great tone and clean guitar work from you, Peter. I mean, this is just like you're meant to sing the blues and this is a great showcase. Great way to start the album.
3: Yeah, I just I mean, I'm used to doing the set lists. And so and and exactly what you're saying, you know, when you play live, you've got to have it it has to balance. You can't songs have to go uh, merge into one another and. But be different enough and take you up and then bring you back a bit. You can't have everything at high octane all the way through. So you've got to move it. So.
2: Not since we gave up the gear.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah.
3: Oh, You're not a punk <laughs> band
0: after all, right?
3: That's it. So I'm used to doing the um, the, the set list. So the sequencing for me um, it wasn't uh, an issue. You know, I just sort of played around with them and, and sort of found how each one you know, went into the... And how I felt then as a whole listening to the album, whether it took me on the journey I wanted it to do. But we started with Bernard's song. I mean, firstly, you yeah, know, Bernard Fowler, he's just... I mean, what a great singer-songwriter in his own right, you know. I know that yeah, everybody knows him for the, the Stones mainly, but that Burra album is just fantastic that See You Again was on. So... And I loved the track from the get-go. So it was how to how to bring us to it and it sort of just naturally happened and from the intro bit i, I, have a great, I
2: heard a great review of that i, I like this review of, that, that we got of see you again where they thought the intro was a bit reminiscent of uh whiskey in the jar oh, Eric, it? There. yeah, yeah they said it is. had a kind of a celtic feel intro to well, obviously just... not note for note but the, the vibe it created mm-hmm. which, which i didn't intend to do but when i read this i went,
3: Oh that's, that's But quite can, can cool. you remember what we we had the intro bit on mm-hmm. Bernard's version it is who is it was it, was it Randy Shankner on uh, I can't remember who it was um, on, on 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 the instrument at the beginning of Bernard's song but I said, we, we can't do that we can't use violin we can't do <laughs> we can't you know we need something else and Pete just started playing and just doing and I went that's it. that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Just run with that. And he, he just did it, you know. It was brilliant. I just went, well, for me, it was a bit more gilmore actually. I, I, yeah.
2: I, I just I, loved it. You.
3: And oh. so, and then that was like, bang. And we opened the set now with that live. Oh, good. Because he can just stand there with a the light on him and just play those notes. and Instantly, everybody is wow, what's happening? In the old days,
2: I would have stood there while the intro was happening I would have rolled a sort of jazz woodbine or something there. Yeah. Just sort of rolled this. Roll it. Would you? There ah, you go. Just... is this in your dreams?
3: Do you have these
2: little dreams? It's like if I was Louis Stewart, who's a great <laughs> Irish jazz guitarist, he used to sit and do that. He'd be sitting down and he'd play these wonderful... Guitars, so was these this sort of uh, improvisational jazz stuff, and then then he would sit there. It would come to the, the uh, drummer would point to Louis to do his guitar, but he'd look at him and he'd just go, "Yeah,
3: okay." You're nowhere
2: near that. Laid back. Then he would put the, the cigarette down. He'd pick up his whiskey and he'd go,
3: "You're nowhere near that laid back."
2: And then he'd play a couple of licks on the guitar. You've got quite Then then he'd pick up his pint of Guinness that was sitting beside the whiskey. My favorite, yes. Put that down. And then off we go, another bunch of licks. And you just think, like, Man, this is so cool. We were like, I don't know, you fourteen years old, fifteen years old in the bar watching this guy go.
3: I think you're far more angst. You, you, you've got more edge. So that <clears throat> yeah. that uh, you, you wouldn't be able to play that like that. It's well, just, you it's wail at easy.
0: the end of this one, right? I mean, at the end of this, you're playing. You're not just sitting down it's playing on this one,
3: right? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he has these little dreams about himself. It's just I think he still thinks he's uh, he still think he's like 22, don't you, actually? That's the other thing that goes on in your little dream. <laughs> But I am 22. I'm just 22 backwards. And you're usually... Oh, with, hang on, that's the same, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and he's usually with Pamela Anderson as well. That's his other little... <laughs> uh, I'm,
2: I'm sure there's a the more modern-day equivalent, but it uh, shows my age. <laughs> no, right.
3: actually, it was Raquel Welsh, wasn't it? <laughs> Rackle Welsh, it? Oh.
1: Hey, guys, this is Chris from my rock and roll heaven, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. <laughs> All
0: right, well, let's talk about the single, you know. Yeah. Can't you see what you're doing to me? An old Albert King classic. To me, this is classic blues, like an AAB blues, but it's rocking. You know, it's not a down, dirty, blowdown blues. It's 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 up, you know, and with some, some sick guitar from you, Mr. Bullock. But would you have a guest in yeah. on the the Hammond organ, which really added some nice flavor to it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's Paul Brown from uh, – he's in the Waterboys now. But he, he, we knew him from the days of Ann Peebles and Bobby Rush. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of Bobby Rush out in the States. Oh, he's, he's fan- amazing. Fantastic yeah. blues blues oh, singer. But he's, yeah. he's also got a lot of humor about him as well so he's he's not, he's, he's a very very funny guy very entertaining and Paul Brown was like an absolute mad hammer player it was player. crazy
3: watching them because you know with Anne and all of her band and all and people they're all these fantastic black soul players you know Bobby Rush same blues black soul uh, you know incredible and you have Paul Brown there who uh, was in Europe for a while, you know, the eighties the rock band.
2: No, he, Survivor.
3: Survivor, sorry, Survivor, not Europe. Yeah. He was in Survivor. And he's got all this blonde, you know. Ready
2: blonde hair, white white skin.
3: White white skin. All this hair. And he dresses in real 70s pimp clothes. You know. Nice. So he's got the the white suit with the flares the the big heels, you know, he's got his he's got his he bought, oil on, you bought, know.
2: He bought these suits off genuine old guys yeah. like teen, teeny Hodges and people like yeah, that. Yeah,
3: absolutely. He bought their old yeah.
2: stage clothes off.
3: Yeah. And so there he is with can, these guys. He played with these guys as, hey man, you don't have to be getting rid of any of your wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a crazy. So he's, he's got all
2: their clothes.
3: He's a real. You know, to That's coin great. an expression, a crazy cat on it. You know, he's just, he, he just goes, I, I've just never heard anybody play like that. You know, he's just really out there and um, he's such a good friend. And again, it was organic because li- the guys did it. Gee, Jared Lewis is playing some fantastic piano. And I said, you know what? We need Paul on this. We so need Paul. And rang him up. He's going, Man! awesome he's so, oh, he's so beautiful he's a beautiful soul he really is okay. he does a lot of work for music cares and paying it forward and nice. all that he's we had another couple guy. of
2: guys on there as well with uh on keyboards from porter's head
3: not like on that bass. track
2: no not on that track on, on the other tracks john baggett and stuff like that's So well, we'll get
3: to that in okay a
2: okay well no, <laughs> we might not get to that if, you, if you talk this much about that one song
0: well then let's let's move to the next track because look bleeding money water really stands out to me uh and this is more of a low down dirty blues and you hear it say okay well is that is that howlin wolf you know is that you know john lee hooker is that robert johnson like no that's mark Lanigan, you know and and that would throw a lot of people off the base in this one is really great too. Not to yeah. mention what you two are doing, but this was such a standout to me. And you could stretch this one out. Did did you know Mark? I mean, we just lost Mark as we're recording this, maybe six weeks ago. Did you know him, yeah. and, and what what was
2: it that caused you to choose to choose this one?
3: No, uh, we we, we, did, we
2: didn't really know.
3: No, we didn't. We we didn't but, know him. We knew. Oh, wait, we we, no, knew we didn't, him.
2: definitely didn't know him, but no. we, we knew of him. That, that came via was that via Gary's suggestion? Yeah.
3: Well, one. I mean, I knew Mark. I, you know, I knew of Mark.
2: Obviously, we knew he'd done beating trees and stuff like that. So, so this the, yeah, the, the, the track was one of the ones suggested was, we went shit this sign's really
3: he, it was a friend mad. of a
2: yeah.
3: friend of mine for a friend of ours who was helping us over in um princeton new jersey and um we we talked about mark Lanigan, and i he sent me the um the blues funeral album and you know i was just blown away with by him and i just thought that this is a track i really want to <laughs> do so it sort of got parked there in my brain that 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 one's one that we we really should do.
2: And again, it's not, not like an obvious blues song to a blues audience or anything. like he, that. we we could like take this from
3: I think um, Mark side I think Mark was it. pretty much underrated as a, as a singer songwriter in his own right. You know, I think he was. Some of the stuff that I, I, I've i heard him do is just fantastic. And then he, he started to work with John Paul Jones as well. So, I didn't he's, know that. He's, yeah, he did the a, 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 a album, I think, just before he passed. Well, the, the last one, before he passed away, had uh, some input with John Paul Jones. So, an amazing singer songwriter. And from listening, as soon as I heard Bleeding in Muddy Water, I just knew that's something we, we could definitely do. And so when it was time to do it, it was great. It was one that just naturally came. We just started doing it. And then I just felt like it needed, it needed a little something in it. And I could hear a piano part. So I said to G, you know, I could hear this little this little thing going through it. And it wasn't until it was all done and I sat back and listened to the whole thing, I thought, wow, this sounds great. But you know what, it doesn't half remind me of No Quarter in Led Zeppelin, I don't know why, It just I could feel a bit of No Quarter going on, I think it was the piano bit, and I didn't know at that point that John Paul Jones was working with Mark, so it was bizarre that I sort of felt it in the, in the track, but yeah, I absolutely loved that track. And it live, it's just kicking in. Yeah, it's one it? of the live ones. It's yeah. really amazing to do that. And that I just wanted be. to have sent it. I would yeah. have loved to have sent it to him. That was the plan. We were going to send it to him and, and to, just to sort of say, listen, you know, we think you're incredible and we wanted to, we've done this version and I hope you, you, you know, we've tried to pay as much respect to you, hope you love it. And then you so pass away. Because
2: yeah, that, that's the thing with the songs, you know, a lot of time spent mainly to show absolute yeah respect for these writers and singers that we admire that have done the songs originally so yeah. yeah we don't want to come in and think that we can oh oh you've done that oh i'll do it like this yeah. it's, it, no. so, so we, we and, and you know we, we kind of liked what we did as well so we wanted them to so we, we shared it amongst some of the people and that the chris wilson track the last one which you'll probably talk about the
3: change we, we haven't sent, got to
2: that uh, yeah yeah we, we sent it to his widow he he died a we're few not years talking ago, about that, and, But uh, we got lovely messages from her. She was absolutely touched. The whole family was
3: touched
0: by by that. Well, I'm sure Mark would have been proud of what you did. It's amazing. It is haunting a little bit like No Quarter. I I hear that now that you mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it fit in with all these blues songs that were a hundred years old. Well, some of them were a hundred or yeah, eighty years old. And and you would have thought the uninitiated like, okay, well that's an old time blues that they just kind of put together. Yeah. It's it's a little bit more modern there. Uh so no good on you there. And then trouble blues, here's another low-down, dirty Hellhounds on my trail, you know, kind of a song that I guess I heard the Sam Cooke version growing up, but I guess um, Charles Brown, who Ray Charles had to cover a lot back in his day coming up. That's one of his old tunes from like the 40s. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I grew up listening to exactly the same as you, listening to Sam Cooke doing it, and I've always loved it. And I I really, it was one of those moments where I did think, what the heck have I done? You know, because Sam Cooke, I absolutely love Sam Cooke i love uh, ray charles you know no no doubt about that but i thought what have i done you know to 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 do a ray charles song but i love the song so much when we went in the studio we started to do it and i was like no 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 this isn't working because it was we were going too much down the same tempo, or you know. It's like if, it,
2: if if you didn't have the right ideas at the start, you had a default mechanism where you just played the song like it had already been done, well, gosh, just, which of it, course is no good. So.
3: No, because you know, so some we,
2: we do it like it had We go well. That, that was great, but no,
3: no, no. And so I'm sort of stood there going, uh, no, this isn't working. It's not not how I've envisaged it. I don't know how I envisage it yet, but it will get to me in a minute. And I just went, do you know what? Let's just stop. Just give me a a straight drum, straight drums in in much slower time. Just straight 4-4 drum, really slow. And that's all. And and none of you guys play. And I'm going to sing. And I just sang a cappella over it. And we were there. It was like, that is it so that is it and then we just started to build it a bit people some of the guitar fantastic guitar around it oh you're um, bending some strings some...
0: at the end of this one mr. Bullock yeah I'm yeah it's,
3: it's fantastic and know I, I, <laughs> I
2: guess listen to it not well we we sat by the Oh, here's a, here's a good name drop. We, thought, we sat by the, uh, the the River Severn in the Black Country in the Midlands of England in a little uh, riverside cabin uh, playing at full blast out the back with uh, Robert Plant listening to it and uh, came to that solo and he just looked at me after, after dead quiet, he just looked at me after. Peter Green there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed.
3: So, I'll, I'll,
2: I'll take that. Thank God he said it was just a touch of Peter Green and not completely Peter Green, but you know. So.
3: No, it sounded great, and it, yeah, it was a whole different reworking. But it just came from that sort of. Let's just stop. Just, just let's let's do the drums. Let's just get something going with the drums, and that's where it came. And it, it sort of had that. It went right back into that blues by just having a straight drum beat, it was it made it very dark. Whereas I think when Sam Cook did it, it was a lot more light, it was as in the production and the, the arrangement was a lot lighter and faster. Um, but this went into that very dark Mississippi sort of vibe yes. for me. And I thought that'll do it, that'll do it. I think I'm
2: just think, thinking now after when I think of the sound on that, all the, the, the space echoes and stuff on the guitar. It's very Albatross, wasn't it? With that kind of... Old Fleetwood uh, Mac sound. The, the haunting guitar and Uh-oh. stuff. Maybe that's where that... But I, I
0: want to be respectful of your all's time because I just have a couple more questions. I, I do want to praise you a lot on this When the World Comes to an End song. Seems like it's a gospel song uh, yeah. a bit to me, but you're throttling a lot here, Deborah, you're, 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 you're holding back. And then you're revving up your voice to really hit some of this stuff. And then you're pulling back a little bit here and there. Uh, is this one you're going to be able to recreate live? Cause this has got some amazing singing on it.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'd love to have a go. I mean, the only issue we, we've got to find the parts that will work live because I did layer this a bit, you know. I, I put in some extra stuff just to build it up and got the guys to do quite a few parts. So I think live we're going to have to find, uh, you there's know, a few a, percussion
2: a, bits in there. And I think yeah, there's a mandolin. There's a mandolin. There as well.
3: But we can. We can we I can thought i heard
2: a mandolin, yeah.
3: We're going to just like figure out and, and make the parts so that they work live, you know. But yeah, no, I love this one. I love this. I, I heard this done by. Um, It's an old gospel hymn from way back, way back, way back. And I heard Ashley Cleveland do it. And um, I thought, yeah, I love that. I really love that song. And, uh, again, the lyric, it's a bit sort of um, poignant right now with all the crap going on in the world. But, uh, yeah, it's a a great song. It's it's all about the gospel. And, uh, you know... Uh, while we were in, uh, on the Stars Aligned, t- no, it wasn't Stars Aligned. We c- we went back to the States in 2019 and did a few shows on the East Coast, like in New York, The Cutting Room, Daryl Hall's place, Levon Helms' place up in Woodstock. And oh, yeah, yeah the Woodstock, ship. Mm-hmm. Woodstock. And, nice, um, very good. <laughs> uh, I, there was a really old 1930s theater, cinema theater, and they were showing Amazing Grace, Aretha Franklin's film where she's in the church singing. And I just sat there in this little theatre in, in, I can't remember the place that it was, but it was a great little place, but it was a real old, old cinema. Very small, still got all the stars of the silver screen up on the the wall, you know, fantastic. And I just watched her deliver this incredible vocal of these gospel songs. And I love gospel, you know, I love all of that. So that sort of helped, That, that inspired it a bit, because... We hadn't done the album then, so when I came back, I had an eye on Ashley Cleveland's uh, version and, and a bit of Aretha Franklin going on and that whole gospel thing. So, yeah, yeah it was great.
0: Well, that's great. That's great. And then I feel like that when it don't come easy, this is like the weary road blues song. This is like, you know, when are we going to get home again? You know, then everyone... Especially artists like yourself, like when you're on that midnight train or the bus, it's like, when are we going to get home again? But I think Gerard has a good chance to kind of show off a little bit uh, on this track, yeah.
3: He played some beautiful piano on that. I mean, the whole thing, the song... It's a Patty Griffin song. Uh, it, this was suggested to me by, by Robert Plant because, of course, he played. With mm-hmm. I've and seen he, them play together, yeah. Yeah. So he said, have a listen to it. I mean, Patty's an amazing songwriter. Well,
2: Ma- Marco Giovino would have been on drums then when you saw them. And he's on drums on yeah. our album. So. On,
3: on a few of the tracks, yeah, he is. Ah, not, yeah. not on this one.
2: He, he was in he's the band of Joy. It's, uh, it's yes, okay. Mm-hmm.
3: But this was on this track it's Rich. It's Richard. But it yeah, we took the track. It's a very different version. But it just screamed out that sort of three, three, four-time blues thing to me. So and again, a little bit gospel as well. You know, we got a bit of um, fantastic Hammond on there as well. Again, that's John Bagot from Head and Massive Attack. And again, Robert Plant's sensational Space Shifters. So yeah, it was just such a great. And then the lyric and I, I, it was a one take this one for me vocally. I, wow. ne- I nearly screwed it. <laughs> nearly screwed it up because Pete played this incredible guitar solo Gee's doing this beautiful piano and it got and a lyric it just resonated and I went to come in and I could feel my voice go. you know I got really emotional <laughs> and I kept thinking come on Deb don't don't screw it up because we've got to do it all again and once once you've got to that point to try and do it again you lose a bit of that you know but Anyway, I got through it. It's great, great song, great
0: song. Well, the whole album is great, uh, and and I uh, am very hopeful to see you doing a bit of it live, and I can't wait to. I've been listening to it, Dave from Tenacity sent it to me. I've been listening to it over and over. But I'm a I'm a physical guy. I can't wait to get the actual one in my hands and put it on the the player. That's just the way I am. So I'm looking forward to that in a big way. Um, I arrive.
2: want to tell you a quick. What's that? I think they're about to arrive in a few days. The actual first physical copies. I want
3: to awesome. do vinyl as well. I'm trying to persuade the label to do vinyl on it because I I really want to do vinyl so we'll see oh yeah absolutely well let me tell you a quick story before
0: I get you to a question that I want to ask we had a a writer on recently her name's Christy Alexander Hallberg and she wrote a novel it's called Searching for Jimmy Page and it's about a young woman a teenage woman in the 80s who has to go on a quest to find Jimmy Page. I'm not going to give away too much of the the story. So she comes to England, and she goes to Scotland and Wales and everywhere in between to his homes and all the old Led Zeppelin haunts. And in it, she tells a story of her going to pay homage to John's grave, going up to Reddit to, to, to pay her respects, which is a true story. What is also a true story, which didn't make it into the book, was the day she went, you were there. And you all talked for a while. And she decided not to put that in the book because that even sounds too far-fetched, even for a fiction book. Yes, I went to John Bonham's grave and his sister was there to greet me. But, you know, her older brother, who's about 10 years older than her, is a drummer and got her into rock and roll. And she yeah. said, Deborah was so gracious in that we weren't just talking about Bonzo, this huge rock star. We're talking about our brothers, who we loved, who were drummers who got us into rock music, you know. And I was just hearing her tell the story. I'm like, that is amazing and special time moment for you. But just the sense I get from you in this hour we spent in some of the interviews I've read and seen with you, it's not a unique story that a lot of people want to come share their passion for for John or for Led Zeppelin and that you're very gracious about it. It must be hard when you have your own life and your own work That needs to be discussed in Forbes magazine or anywhere else and they just want to talk about the past but it seems like you make room for that for them Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's life-changing but I feel like it's it's life-affirming for a lot of the people who do that so is that who've had the opportunity so is it something you've shied away from or that you've grown into or you just realize hey these are people who love my brother like I do, and they yeah. have something to say and giving them some time is a good thing.
3: Pretty, pretty much that. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's an a absolute part of me, you know, from when I was, he joined Zeppelin when I was six, so it's always been a part of me. My brother's always, you know, he's been there since I was born. He was 14 when I was born, and He was my big brother, and and we were close. He was a beautiful, beautiful man, you know, and there's not a day goes by that I don't miss him. Same with my other brother, Michael. There's only two years between those two. Michael was Mm 12 years older than me, and he sadly passed away. So, yeah, and they were funny. They were really, really funny guys, and and we had some great, great times. So musically, it can be a bit of a double-edged sword. It used to be, not so much now. It was just expectations of people thinking, oh, you know, oh, is she jumping on the bandwagon? Or it would be, oh, I hope she's going to do Led Zeppelin, you know. And I got hounded by various people saying, you know, we we think it'd be great. We've got this idea. We want you and some dancers around you. (laughs) He was sat there. We we were in a band together at the time. They totally dissed him. And it was, and we are going to do Led Zeppelin disco? I was like... And he just stood up and went, I'll get me coat then.
0: <laughs> Good <laughs> work, the
2: yeah.
3: Oh, you,
2: be
0: you, me.
3: you know, I mean, really, so, some of those uh, things, Maybe if
2: we'd done it with Nile Rogers or the Bee Gees. Oh, be yeah, true. now yeah,
3: that but, could have uh, been different with Nile Rogers, absolutely. Anything with Nile
2: Rogers would be great,
0: sure, yeah I, but, uh, yeah.
3: I wasn't going to do Led Zeppelin, but anyway. But talking about John, talking about Led Zeppelin, you know, they were the biggest single influence on me throughout my life. So, yeah, and and, I'm so proud of what John achieved. I mean, that's why we did the memorial for him, this beautiful bronze memorial in Redditch that we teamed up with Teenage Cancer Trust as well because we raised three times the money we needed for the, the memorial. So Teenage Cancer Trust got a big donation and it set up the John Bonham Outreach Nurses for across the West Midlands. So it's a great legacy for him. That, and it continues to give because people go to the memorial and, they t- and there's a lovely little pack about Teenage Cancer Trust on the back and people tend to then just go and make a little donation. So it's helping to fund nurses take care of kids across the West Midlands, which is great. So, yeah, I mean, this whole thing, um, I, I, I don't mind talking about it. And especially, you know, with that, uh, with that lady, if, she'll know exactly what it is that, that I've gone through losing a brother because at the end of the day it's your brother it's you know he's my nephew's and my niece's dad and my mom's son my mom and dad's son and Michael's brother it affected us very badly so keep it keeping his memory alive is quite wonderful in a lot of ways you know and sometimes it it just suddenly hits me and I think it's still now you know I can It will bring tears to my eyes and, you know, I get a bit maudlin or just missing him, really. But um, if I, you know, sometimes it will just get me. But no, I'm I'm happy to, to share stuff because at the end of the day, he was a very, very special man. So. They both were, uh, and it's, both
0: it's kind of you, it, it does keep him keep him alive in our yeah, in our yeah. minds, and our hearts, and our spirits, you know. You want to tell folks where they can learn about you, whether it's on your website or social media or how to find more or when the album
2: drops? The website is deborabonham.com, so it's just that spelling of Deborah, it's a D-E-B-O-R-A-H, deborabonham.com, and uh, that has little buttons on it that links you to the Facebooks and the YouTubes and all that. But, yeah, we're on all, there, all those usual Twitter and places, Instagram. Twitter and stuff. Yeah. And Quarter Valley Records is the uh, the record company. Records coming out 29th of April. But there is a link to but to order it yeah, right now so that you actually get it the day it comes out. And the single's out now as well. There's links on there for the single. Well, look, hey,
0: amazing work. And, and best of luck on the tour. I hope uh, that very much that I get to see you. Milton Keynes is not that far. I might run up for that show. We'll where, see. Where, where are you? Um, uh, I'm in St John's Wood in London. Oh yeah, crikey, that's where I. Oh,
3: we played look, two weeks ago, three weeks ago in London. We were at the park. Oh,
2: we were at the
0: par-
3: <laughs> house, yeah. house in Camden. Yeah.
2: The old Dingwalls.
3: in Camden. I could have
2: walked. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you could have walked home with Gerard. He lives in Primrose Hill. <laughs>
0: Thank you kindly. It has been so much fun to talk with you all today. And I feel like we could talk for another couple of hours sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, maybe after your tour, maybe We'd you want to come back hard. on. Can we can talk
3: some more. Yeah, I mean. It, I could
0: reserve a spot at the Clifton for us.
3: That, oh, do you know what? That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> lovely right, talking well, to you, Mac. Really, really lovely. And thank you so much for your kind words and uh, having us on your show. It's been brilliant. Yeah, it
0: been lovely talking to you. and like, All the success in the world with the album and the, the coming tour. Thank it, you. It's amazing. And, and uh, I can't wait to see you live again. Thank so, you. Awesome. Oh,
3: well, we'll let you know. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a look at some of the dates. And if you can make any, yeah, we'd keep,
2: love keep, to see you. Yeah, keep in touch when you see us coming yeah. here. Definitely.
0: that wraps up episode number 72 of The Ugly American Werewolf in London with my interview with Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock of Bonham Bullock, who have an incredible new blues album out that I really encourage you guys to check out. If you like blues, you like blues guitar, you like soulful singing, you're going to like this one a lot. And I really want to thank them both for their generosity of spirit uh, and generosity of time and the great stories that they shared there. It's kind of crazy to learn. We we had a great conversation that I think you heard, but also some stuff off the Record that was uh, really fun for me to hear. It turns out they lived right around the corner from me uh, about 30 years ago when they first moved to London. We shared the same neighborhood pub. So if you have the chance, definitely go out and catch them on the road and pick up bottom Bullock. It is out april 29th now as usual folks we want you to subscribe and download and call us out on twitter at ugly underscore werewolf at actionjack 72 let us know the records the bands the concerts the dvds the rock properties that you want us to review let's all say hi to jackson out there and hope that his family situation is all resolved so we can have him back on next week's show be sure to download and subscribe anywhere you get your podcast, be it apple Amazon, Good Pods, Google Play, Spotify anywhere you get your podcast, and if you're thinking about it, hey, give us a positive review. It just helps us find more rock fans like you, and if we hear about it or read it, we might just read it on the show. Now, I honestly can't tell you what we're going to be doing next week. There's a lot of great things happening here at The Wolf right now we're excited about, and we can't wait to share with you real soon, but there are also some things up in the air, so next week's show will be as big a surprise to you all as it is to me. Remember to check us out on PantheonPodcast.com. We're one of a family of about 100 amazing music podcasts on Pantheon. Check them out at Pantheon Pods as well. So proud to be part of the family and we're going to be interacting with some of our fellow Pantheon podcast shows in the near future. So stay tuned for that. And until next time rock and rollers, to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe.